Content warning, this episode contains descriptions of child abuse, suicide, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. The upper left corner of the United States is full of stunning scenery. Beautiful mountains, raging rivers, breathtaking valleys, and so much more. But the Pacific Northwest is also known for something more sinister. This beautiful land also seems to be a breeding ground for serial killers and others who commit heinous acts. I was born in the Pacific Northwest, and I've had a fascination with true crime since childhood. I'm here to tell you the true crime stories of the PNW. So grab your sweater and a cup of coffee. I'm your host, Emily, and this is The Upper Left Corner. listeners, Emily here with some podcast housekeeping. I took last week off to upgrade my equipment and situate my podcasting area a little better and also to spend some extra time with my kids during their spring break. Next, I want to say thank you so much for listening. This podcast took off more than I was expecting it to and I really love my audience who is made up of kind and caring true crime fans. You guys are my people. Next, I have some merch up in my store at upperleftpodcast.com if you are interested. It's a pre-order situation, so it will be a month or two before I'm able to ship your items because I'm using a local screen printer. So if you want something with my new logo on it, order soon. Next order of business. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, if you could go give me a five-star rating or a review, that really helps me out. Again, thank you so much for all your support. Now on to the trailer. Authorities have identified five people, including three children, who died when their car drove off a cliff Monday afternoon. But police are searching for three kids who are still missing. Mendocino County Sheriff Tom Allman says he's now calling the crash that killed five members of the Hart family a crime. Three of the family's six adopted children are still missing. Today, I will be telling you about the murder-suicide of the eight members of the Hart family and the abuse, neglect, and system failure that led to it. But first, let's profile a PNW town. Woodland, Washington is a town that lies in both Clark and Cowlitz counties, and according to the 2010 census, the population was just under 6,000. Woodland was platted by A.W. Scott in 1889, the same year that Washington became a state and Woodland was incorporated as a town in 1906. In 1948, the town experienced one of the greatest floods in its history, with Old Town Woodland being one of the hardest hit areas. 
1996, another major flood affected the area, and President Bill Clinton visited during the recovery, using the Woodland High School football field as a landing pad for his helicopter. One famous person who hails from Woodland is Holda Klager, who created different varieties of flowers and was a prolific breeder of lilacs. By 1920, she opened a springtime garden for visitors, but the floodwaters of 1948 destroyed every single flower. In 1950, at the age of 87, she opened her home for Lilac Week once again. By the time she passed in 1960, her garden was saved from being bulldozed by the Woodland Federated Garden Club, and it was declared a state and national historic site, and it still is maintained to this day by the state and the Lilac Society. Now on to our story. On August 9th, 2014, Michael Brown Jr. was fatally shot by a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis. The aftermath was a major divide and civic unrest all over the country. Black Lives Matter had started with a hashtag going viral after the acquittal of George Zimmerman in the murder of Trayvon Martin. Two years later, and after the Michael Brown incident, it became a movement. Protests began all over the country and tension between the police and the movement reached a fever pitch. During one of these protests in Portland, Oregon, however, there was a heartwarming photo of unity that would go viral around the world. A child named Avante, who was around 10 years old, was photographed at the protest wrapped in a giant hug with a Portland police officer. Devante had tears streaming down his face. The famous photo was dubbed the Hug Heard Round the World, or the Ferguson Hug. It was a symbol of hope and healing, as Devante was black and the officer was white. If you were scrolling your social feed and saw the photo, you would most likely smile, give it a like, and continue scrolling. But knowing what I know now, when I look at that photo, I see so much pain in this kid's eyes. I notice how he's clinging to the officer. It wasn't just a hug. He is holding onto him tightly, pressing his head on his chest. And unfortunately... One of Devante's future brushes with fame would be due to his murder at the hands of his mother's. In the early 2000s, on the campus of Northern State University in South Dakota, two women majoring in elementary education fell in love. Jennifer Hart and Sarah Gangler were both from South Dakota, and once their schooling was complete in 2002, they began living their lives together. In a Facebook post, Jennifer stated that they kept their relationship quiet, and each time they came out, they would be ostracized, so they would just pick up and move. This would lead them to live in Minnesota in 2004, where Sarah legally changed her last name to Hart in 2005 to signify joining their lives together, as same-sex marriage was not yet legal in the U.S. Through the years, Jennifer worked miscellaneous jobs until she became a stay-at-home mom in 2006, while Sarah worked as a manager at a Herzberger's in Minnesota and a Kohl's in Hazeldell once they moved to Washington. The first three children adopted into the Hart family were Abigail, who was born in 2003, Hannah, born in 2002, and Marcus, born in 1998. They were placed in the Hart's care on March 4, 2006, after the children's biological parents had their parental rights terminated by the Texas courts and the adoption became official in September of 2006. As their family grew, Jen Hart was very active on Facebook. She posted pictures of the kids all the time, showing off their artwork, videos of them singing, and feeding their chickens. They also used the platform to advocate for causes they believed in and often used the kids to make their point. 
Devante often wore a sign around his neck that said free hugs, and the family would go to protests and participate in peaceful gatherings. Jen Hart had a YouTube channel, and many of the videos depict a happy family singing children, as you heard in the trailer, with big smiles on their faces. But now, after there's been an extensive investigation and all of the puzzle pieces are slowly coming together, the social media presence projected a perfect family, but actually it was the perfect cover-up. The troubles for the family began in Minnesota. Before the Hearts adopted the children, they had started out by fostering a 15-year-old girl in Minnesota. A co-worker from the Herzbergers, where at the time both Jen and Sarah were working, stated that their foster daughter was caught eating food out of the trash on more than one occasion at the restaurant, and that Jen and Sarah would gossip about her, saying things like, ugh, she's the worst. She claims they appeared to have no interest in helping the girl, and something seemed off to the co-worker, who felt sorry for the foster child. One week prior to legally adopting the first three children from Texas, they took the foster child to a therapist and had them break the news that the hearts were not coming back for her, and she was placed in a new foster home. In 2008, a teacher reported that Hannah Hart had bruises on her arm, and that when she was asked where they came from, she told the teacher that Jen had hit her with a belt. Within months of the report and the investigation that followed, all three of the Hart children were pulled from the public school system for one year. A few months later, the Hearts adopted three more children. Sierra was born in 2002, Devante in 2004, and Jeremiah in 2005 from Houston, Texas. Their biological mom lost custody as she had substance abuse issues, and the biological fathers made no effort to gain custody. However, they were placed in the care of a maternal aunt under the condition that the children had no contact with their mother. However, the aunt did allow the biological mom to babysit the kids on occasion when she got in a bind and had to work. And on one of these occasions, a caseworker observed this, causing the aunt to lose custody. She then tried to gain permanent custody of the kids, but the courts denied it and the children were adopted by the Hearts, who were still living in Minnesota at the time. In 2009, the Hearts were legally married in Connecticut, which was one of the very first states to legalize same-sex marriage. Their children were the only witnesses present, as neither Jen or Sarah were close with their families by this point. In 2010, not long after they had re-enrolled all six kids in public school, Abigail Hart told a mandated reporter that she had owies on her back and stomach and that she had received them due to an argument over a penny. Sure enough, she was covered in bruises in all of the areas where her clothing covered them. Abigail had said she had found a penny, but Sarah and Jennifer didn't believe her. Through an investigation, it was revealed that Jennifer had held her head underwater and hit her. Around the same time, it was noticed that Hannah was stealing food from her classmates. The school nurse and administrators spoke with Hannah, who told them that she had not eaten all day. When they called Jen, she said that Hannah was just playing the food card and told the nurse to just give her water. Up to this point, any time a child spoke of their abuse, they said it was at the hands of Jen. However, when authorities got involved following this incident, Sarah took responsibility for the abuse. She pled guilty to assault and was sentenced to community service for a year. It is speculated that the reason Sarah took the fall when all of the reported abuse pointed to Jen was because Jen received money for the kids from the state of Texas for adopting them out of the foster care system, as well as social security for each child. 
An abuse charge would likely cause the state of Texas, as it should, to pull the funding from the family. Following this incident, all six kids were once again pulled from the school system and homeschooled from there on out. Once Sarah had completed her community service, she moved to West Lynn, Oregon to try to establish a life for the family before Jen and the kids would follow. Once the entire family had moved to Oregon, it didn't take long for the Minnesota authorities to, to inform the state of Oregon of the abuse allegations. And in 2013, they began their own investigation into the family. Authorities interviewed each family member and others who knew them. Friends of the family told authorities that the children had to raise their hand when speaking, they were not allowed to wish each other a happy birthday, and there was no laughing allowed at the dinner table. This is also heartbreaking and horrible, but for some reason the no laughing at the dinner table really got me. No matter how bad my day is or how hard parenting is, hearing my kids laugh makes it all worth it. To not even enjoy the happy moments, that house had to have been miserable. Even worse, all of the children were notably small for their ages and appeared to be poorly fed. This is when two separate whistleblowers came forward to report the family to authorities, triggering yet another CPS investigation in August of 2013. The first person had reported that Jen would make the kids pose for pictures and videos for her Facebook page, and then immediately when she was done, the kids went back to being lifeless. They also reported an incident when Jen had ordered a pizza for the kids, but each child was only allowed one small slice. When she discovered a slice was missing, her punishment for the children was that none of them were allowed to eat breakfast and they all had to lie on an air mattress with sleep masks on for five hours. The second person to come forward was a friend of the family who had hosted the hearts during their summer trip to San Francisco in 2013. She claimed that the kids were scared to death of Jen and they acted like trained robots. She was quoted as saying, Jen ran the family like a regimented boot camp, not letting the kids cry and punishing them for laughing too loudly. True love, kindness, and respect for the kids was largely absent. During this investigation, each child was interviewed separately, despite the objections by their moms. But each child stated almost exactly the same thing and included praise for their mothers. During Jennifer's interview, she claimed that the family problems were the result of others not being tolerant of two lesbian mothers with six black children. Part of the investigation also included the children having a medical examination, and five out of six of them had fallen off the growth charts in weight and height. But in the report sent to CPS by the doctor, he stated that all of the children appeared to be overall healthy, though he recommended a follow-up in six months to check their weight, which Jen and Sarah never followed through on. Jen explained that the reason the children were underweight was that they followed a vegan diet. The results of this investigation concluded that there was no real safety threat to the children and no further action was taken at that time. However, the family was definitely under the watchful eyes of authorities. The following year, in 2014, was when the picture of Devante went viral for the hug heard round the world. This brush with the limelight may not have been as happy as you might think. According to Jen's Facebook page, there was some backlash from people who harassed them, and they were hounded by the press to get an interview with Devante. After this is when Jen really began to shut down even farther. She didn't appear to have any friends or much family support, and she turned to online gaming for her social interactions. 
In the Broken Hearts podcast, in episode 7, titled Stone Cold Narcissist, the hosts Elizabeth Egan and Lauren Smiley interview a man who she gamed with. And forgive me as I stumble my way through these gaming terms, I'm not super familiar with it, although I could show you some Fortnite dances that my boys have taught me if you would like. Anyways, Jen was the leader of a clan, which is a group of about 50 people who play together in a game. There was a chat feature, so Jen got familiar with the people she was playing with. The man that was interviewed for the Broken Hearts podcast said that he has five kids and was shocked to learn that Jen was homeschooling her children. In his opinion, she played so much that there was no way she was actually teaching the children. And according to one of Sarah's coworkers, Jen never called at work, with one exception. There was one day that Sarah took a call in her office and she came back to work visibly upset. She shared with her coworker that Jen had called and yelled at her because she had not played her part of the game in the morning before she had left for work. Jen would reportedly play all day and late into the night. In 2016, the family had their second brush with fame. Do you guys remember the Bernie Sanders rally in Portland where a bird landed on the podium and he said, I think this bird is a symbol. I know it doesn't look like it, but that bird is really a dove asking us for world peace. And then the crowd went wild? Well, if you go back and watch that YouTube video, you can see the Hart family in matching homemade blue shirts right in the background, jumping up and down, right behind Bernie. How does a family who claims on Facebook that they have turned down reality show offers and wants to keep their family life private end up in two viral moments in the span of two years? Well, the answer is likely that it was not by chance. When presidential candidates go around the country and make speeches, they don't just allow random people to sit in the places where they will be in the shot with the candidate. Here's how the Hart family found themselves in that famous clip. Days before the Portland rally, the Hart family stood in line for an entire day in the pouring rain at the Vancouver-Washington rally. They were wearing their matching blue shirts and stood out just like everywhere they went. They were able to make it into the Vancouver rally and were approached by Sanders staffers and invited to sit behind him at the Portland rally. This involved once again standing outside all day to get in, and that is how they came to be in the shot of the bird video, which has over 2.7 million views on YouTube and was the lead story on every national news broadcast that night. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. The Upper Left Corner merch store is open. Head on over to UpperLeftPodcast.com to check out the selection of shirts, tanks, crewnecks, and hoodies. My personal favorite is the tie-dye tee that my friend Sarah helped me design. Check out the new logo and see if you can spot the PNW Easter eggs. And keep checking back for new items. I'm working on wine glasses, coffee mugs, and stickers. Thanks for your support. This episode is sponsored by Smile Brilliant. I am one of the 40 million Americans who grind their teeth at night. There can be many causes such as stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite, and chronic teeth grinding can lead to worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. The best solution for teeth grinding is the custom-fitted night guard. However, it's costly, with the average dentist charging between $200 and $300 per guard, and you will grind through several a year. Using Smile Brilliant's Lab Direct process, you can get the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard. Not only that, but as an upper left corner listener, enjoy 30% off site-wide at smilebrilliant.com using code UPPERLEFT. 
That code is also good on their other amazing products, such as their whitening trays or electric toothbrushes. Head over to smilebrilliant.com today. Your business deserves the same expertise as that of a Fortune 500 company. If you need a CIO-level service, why hire a full-time staff member at $250,000 a year when you can get this on-demand service for fractions of the cost? As your CIO on demand, we'll give you the steps you need to take so as to minimize interruption to your business and profitability and provide you and your business with training and education to prevent future attacks. To get an efficiency review for your business today, contact us at www.ee-services.com. And now back to the story. In 2017, the Hart family moved to Woodland, Washington. They purchased a house with some land that was quite secluded. However, they did have one neighbor close by. The two houses had been built by brothers in the 1970s and shared a driveway, with the Hart's house on the right and the neighbors on the left. Shortly after the move, Hannah Hart jumped out of her window at around 1.30 a.m. and tried to contact the next-door neighbors. She pleaded with them, stating that her moms were racist and abused them, and to please not make her go back. The retired couple let her in and tried to calm her and figure out what to do next with the situation. Not long after, Jen and Sarah burst into the neighbor's house, didn't even knock, and started searching for Hannah, who they found in an upstairs bedroom hiding from them. Jen went on to explain that Hannah was lying and that she was a drug baby and that her biological mom was bipolar. The neighbors estimated she was a young child, but it turns out at the time of this incident, Hannah was 16 years old. The neighbors weren't sure what to do. These issues with neighbors are hard because it could have been a one-off and they had no way to disprove that what Hannah's moms were saying was wrong. Maybe this child did have issues and they were trying their best. The hearts were fairly new to the area, but the neighbors at the time did not even know that children had lived there. Although the neighbors struggled with what to do, once the wife had told her 80-year-old father, he reported it to authorities. In his 911 call, he said it just didn't sit well with him, and the kids needed to be checked on. One of his complaints was that there are six kids and they are never outside. The authorities made contact with Jen and Sarah and didn't feel like there was a problem, and no CPS case was opened. As to the claim that the kids were never outside, Jen said that it's not illegal to keep kids inside. After this, Jen and Sarah installed curtains in their house, and they never opened again. It's also important to note that their previous investigations had not caught up to them yet in their new state, so none of the previous information was known to the police officers and CPS caseworkers as they looked into this complaint. After this incident, Devontae Hart began begging these same neighbors for food and asked them not to tell Jen about it. As his visits for food became more frequent, he began opening up to them, saying his mother's withheld food as punishment and that he and his siblings were abused. They started routinely sneaking in food, and one week they ran out of bread and realized that they had gone through 30 tortillas in a very short amount of time. This caused the wife to really take a look at Devante, and she realized how little he was. She said his shoulders were tiny compared to his head, and his clothes were getting baggier. This, along with the previous incident with Hannah, caused the neighbors to report Jen and Sarah to CPS, and an investigation was once again underway. CPS workers attempted to make contact with the Hearts twice in March of 2018, but they were unable to reach them even when they went to their house. As the CPS investigation was ramping up and more information from the family's past was being discovered by the authorities, Sarah began not showing up for work. On March 24, 2018, Sarah's co-workers at Kohl's received a text in the middle of the night stating that she was too sick to open the store that morning. 
And later that day, the next-door neighbors noticed the Yukon was no longer in the driveway, and it appeared that the family had left in a rush. They hit their retaining wall, causing the cinder blocks to fall in the driveway, and that damage had not been noticed prior to this day. The following day, which was the 25th, Jen was captured on surveillance footage in California at a grocery store near Fort Bragg buying $20 worth of groceries. On March 26th, Sarah's co-workers from Kohl's called the authorities requesting a welfare check since she had missed several shifts and wasn't responding to phone calls or texts. Sarah was an assistant manager and a responsible one, so her co-workers were worried something was wrong as it appeared her phone had either died or was turned off. On this very same day, a German tourist was overlooking the ocean near Westport, California and spotted a 2003 GMC Yukon XL belly up on the rocks. The car had plummeted nearly 100 feet off the cliff with all eight of the hearts inside. Rescue workers rappelled down the cliff where they lifted the bodies of Marcus, Abigail, and Jeremiah first. And when they went back again, they retrieved Jen and Sarah. The coroner found the common ingredient of Benadryl in the blood of Sarah and the children. And Jen, who was in the driver's seat, had a blood alcohol level that was well over the legal limit. According to the car's computer, Jen stopped at a pullout 70 feet from the cliff and then gunned it off the cliff. Just 10 days into the investigation, after initial reports called it a tragic accident, authorities announced at a press conference that they were no longer calling it an accident and that this was an intentional act. After the accident, people who knew the hearts attempted to aid in the search of the remaining children. According to the sheriff of Mendocino County, about a half a dozen people were camping near the drive-off point of the cliff and would search for clues during the day. One of the members of this group from Minnesota found the body of 12-year-old Sierra, and another found a foot belonging to Hannah. That left Devante, who has still not been found to this day. Around a year after the accident, a coroner's inquiry was conducted, and the results were shocking. It was found that both moms had participated in the murder-suicide. It was previously speculated that Jen was the only person responsible for the murders. But Sarah's cell phone records were recovered, and she had Googled the following. Can 500 milligrams of Benadryl kill a 120-pound woman? What over-the-counter medications can you take to overdose? How can I easily overdose on over-the-counter medications? Is death by drowning relatively painless? How long does it take to die from hypothermia while drowning in a car? What will happen when overdosing on Benadryl? And one of the last searches, which was done while she was driving through Oregon, was to identify no-kill dog shelters. At the time of her death, Sarah had ingested 42 doses of Benadryl. Both liquid and pill versions were found in the Yukon, and they were all purchased back in Washington. This proved Sarah was in on it, and this was planned ahead of time. The oldest child, Marcus, who was 19 years old at the time, had 19 doses of Benadryl in his system. Abigail had taken 14 and Jeremiah had taken 8. This would likely have caused Sarah and the kids to be unconscious when they went over the cliff. After hearing all of the evidence, the jury deliberated for one hour and came to the conclusion that the moms had murdered the children. Sarah and Jen's death certificates had their cause of death changed to suicide, and all six heart kids had theirs changed to homicide as the matter of death. As I mentioned, Jen and Sarah, though mostly Jen, was very active on social media. She was what I like to call an oversharer. In most of her posts, she would divulge the kids' hardship and details that I personally found inappropriate in regards to older children wetting the bed or binging food or having a massive tantrum that resulted in a fall down the stairs. 
as a mom, I do appreciate the moms who are real and don't portray their lives or children as perfect. This is actually one of my qualifiers when I meet a potential mom friend, but there is a line and posting embarrassing issues on social media for strangers to see is crossing it in my book. She had a sizable following of strangers after the hug heard around the world. So it wasn't just friends and family she was sharing this information with. All of my kids have little quirks or have had embarrassing incidents, but when bad things happen, my instinct is to protect them, not to put it out on the internet for people to comment with sympathy or praise me for dealing with it. And that's what Jen wanted. She needed the pat on the back for being a mom and handling all of these quote-unquote difficult children. She claims the first three kids had issues, so it's upsetting to me that she would then go out and seek to adopt more. And on top of that, settle on three more. Not only that, but in 2009, after all six kids had been adopted and pulled from the public school system because of abuse allegations, Sarah used a sperm donor to conceive. However, the pregnancy ended in a miscarriage of what would have been the heart's seventh child. My belief is that they only adopted this many children for monetary gain. Nearly half of their income came from the state of Texas for adopting the children. On average, a family like the Hearts could collect around $1,200 per month per child. According to the records, the Hearts had received around $270,000 from the state of Texas since adopting the kids until their deaths in 2018. Another unfortunate fact about this story is that the sheriff of Mendocino County said that part of the holdup being able to identify the foot as Hannah's was that the adoption agency was not cooperative with police. The authorities were attempting to locate biological family members to compare the DNA to, and the agency refused to give them that information, and legally, they didn't have to. This also devastated the biological families as they watched the story unfold through the news as well, as authorities had no way to contact them for a proper notification. The adoption agency that the Hearts used for all six adoptions was shut down in 2009, just months after the Hearts adopted their second set of siblings. They were shut down for 17 licensing violations, including missing paperwork and a failure to complete background checks. Sarah and Jen's families have been quiet for the most part. However, in the Broken Hearts podcast, both of their families wanted to make it clear that the reason they were estranged was not because of their sexual orientation, as Jen had insinuated on social media. In fact, Jen's brother stated that he has been openly gay since high school and has never felt uncomfortable under his parents' roof. He says he and his family tried to help Jen, not work against her. Sarah's family, the Ganglers, have made similar statements that the estrangement was not their choice and that they were accepting of her sexual orientation. I think for as much as we know about this case, the sad truth is the kids don't get the attention they deserve. It's hard to know what they were really like in life. So here's what I could find on each of them. I'm using resources other than Jen's Facebook page because I feel like she only portrayed her kids in ways that benefited her, and she also embellished things. The oldest, Marcus loved to read. He even finished the first Twilight book in one sitting. He was sensitive and compassionate. Hannah was spunky and loved to dance and sing. She was also courageous as she was the one who jumped from her second story window in the middle of the night to get help from the neighbors. Devante was the child who went viral in 2014 for the photo of him hugging the police officer. He wore a free hug sign everywhere he went and was a sensitive boy. Abigail had big brown eyes and wore glasses. Her favorite color was lime green, and she loved yoga. Jeremiah also wore glasses, and he was stoic. He was born with drugs coursing through his body and wasn't expected to live. Instead, he made it to 14. 
although it would have been much longer. Sierra was an animal lover. She had a kitten named Sebastian. In many of the pictures, she's holding one of her big brother's hands. According to the Broken Hearts podcast that completed a deep dive into the case and family's life, another aspect that is hard to talk about but that was brought up by neighbors and others who encountered the Hart family is that one of the ways they were able to get away with things is because of political correctness. The family made it well known to neighbors that they had been harassed in the past due to their relationship and their kids had faced racism. This is probably true, but it also puts outsiders in the position of not wanting to take a hard look at the family and giving them the benefit of the doubt, thinking that maybe they had those thoughts because of biases. Jen and Sarah no doubt used this to their advantage, as well as moving to new states where it would take a while for investigations to catch up to them. Cutting off relationships with family and not having many friends to notice the abuse. Homeschooling their kids to avoid mandated reporters and avoiding doctor's offices to hide the fact that they were starving the children. I think a way that the Hart children could be honored is by fixing the system that failed them. We have databases for missing children and sex offenders. If we had a national database for CPS encounters, then all of the CPS investigations would have followed this family no matter what state they moved to. And I just wonder what would have happened if all of the CPS investigations were out in the light no matter what state they were living in. And that is the sad story of the Hart family. This week's local wine that I paired with my true crime is the Expedition Canoe Ridge Vineyard Red Blend out of Horse Heaven Hills. Inspired by explorers Lewis and Clark, who during their 1805 expedition thought that a distinctive ridge above the Columbia River resembled an overturned canoe. And this is where the Canoe Ridge Vineyard is today. This fruit-forward blend offers notes of blackberry, plum, and a kiss of cedar on the lingering finish. Cheers and thanks for listening. upper left corner a pnw true crime podcast if you enjoyed the episode please leave a five-star rating and review and share it with a friend all of the sources for this episode are listed in the show notes and at upperleftpodcast.com while you are there check out the support victim causes tab to find the way you can help the victim's families or take a peek at my merch you can follow me on instagram at upper left corner pod if you have a case suggestion or a PNW wine recommendation, please email me at upperleftpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your support. <laughs>